Hi there, so we're here for the Alliance Live podcast. Uh, my name's Justine Duncan and I'm the Events and Communications Manager at the Health and Social Care Alliance and I'll just introduce my colleague. Um, hi, my name is Carmen and I'm a Development Officer in the Digital Health and Care team here at the Alliance. And we're joined by Ross McCulloch. So Ross, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, so I'm uh, Ross McCulloch, so I'm the Director of Third Sector Lab. Um, I also am co-facilitator of SCDO's uh, Digital Senior Leadership Programme, which we'll talk a wee bit about today. And my shameless plug, you can follow me on Twitter at Third Sector Lab. There'll be various shameless plugs today. <laughs> Thanks very much, Ross. So what we're going to do is we're just going to get straight into asking you a series of questions. Um, so first of all, as an established digital leader in Scotland, what do you think will be the big trends in digital over the coming years? Yeah, okay. Uh, that's a massive, giant question to start with, so thanks for that. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I think, I mean, for me, in the third sector, there's a lot of the basics we kind of need to get right before we worry about some of the big trends. So we're looking at things like AI and emerging trends that are happening in banking. Like a lot of third sectors, not even there with the fundamentals yet. So how are we using data as a decision-making tool? Um, are we cyber secure as an organisation? Are cultures right? Do we understand what our users want and need? Do we understand how they're living their lives in 2019? Um, so for me, I think a lot of the kind of bigger trends can become a bit of a distraction, particularly for smaller to medium charities who don't have the money and don't have digital skills in-house. And what do you think then, I suppose you're talking a bit about some of the anxiety for mm. different organisations. Yeah. What do you think that does mean for third sector organisations, so larger ones and smaller ones? Yeah, so... I guess one of the things that we've seen from the senior leadership programme is it's not always the big charities with the huge amounts of money and reserves that are the ones that are able to make the big changes, that actually it's the ones that have the right culture and have the right leadership. And sometimes that can be much smaller organisations, often organisations that are much more nimble and there's less layers of bureaucracy um, that sit behind it. Um, I do think, and we can kind of speak about this a wee bit later, but I think there's a lot of external factors at play as well. So if you're a big social care charity and you might have, you know, some of the biggest turnover of kind of charities in Scotland at the kind of six to hundred million pound mark, is actually some of them are the least digitally evolved and partly that's that external factor of public sector contracts where there's little wriggle room to evolve, there's little incentive to evolve and change your services. And actually, I think there's a responsibility on funders to really be challenging organisations, but giving them that space to change culture and try new ideas rather than just simply delivering contracts in the same way they've been delivering them for the last decade. Mm-hmm. And I suppose certainly for smaller organisations, um, finance can be an issue for them. Mm. Do you think that's a barrier for some smaller organisations to embrace digital? Yeah, I do think uh, I do think it is. So it's it's easy to talk about you know culture and leadership are the most important things, but I think if you have limited funds and that's tied in the service delivery and you don't have a huge amount of reserves, then making that commitment can be quite difficult. And um, if you look at organisations like people like LifeLink and Glasgow Council and Charity, who made quite a reasonable upfront investment in their dynamic CRM system, but knowing that that would uh, cut down paper costs, it would free up councillors to get back to counselling and spending less time on admin. And actually that first year alone of implementing that CRM system, they save £15,000. So for a lot of organisations, I guess it's sense checking that we're not just talking about continually spending money, we're talking about 
initial investments that reap rewards further down the line and get your staff to focus on the job that they joined your organisation to do in the first place. So, um, And I think, I guess, the big thing is that people don't need to be experts. It's often about asking the right questions and your board understanding where money's spent effectively. And I think, that for me, that's part of the culture shift, is, is for digital and IT, a lot of charities have had their fingers burnt because rather than going to speaking to partners or learning from what other people are doing, they're relying on three big digital providers coming in given a presentation, if something goes out to tender, the people who make decisions on it don't have any knowledge, and then a year down the line they realise the thing they were promised only delivers 40% of what they were told it would deliver. So I think a big culture shift about exploring a bit more and learning from other charities rather than being at the whim of big IT providers basically selling you stuff that has never been delivered what they said it would in the first place. And would you say that the conditions in Scotland are right to allow for this culture shift and for digital activities to flourish? Yeah, I think, I mean, for me, it's a really exciting time in Scotland at the moment. There's a lot going on that I think, personally, we are light years ahead of the UK and even London um, and a lot of the stuff that's happening. So things like, you know, SCVO and investing time investment in their big kind of digital programmes. So the senior leaders programme is just part of that. Um, there's a lot of work going on digital evolution, a lot of work to upskill frontline staff to help users. So I think the kind of umbrella bodies, and particularly people like the Alliance as well, are giving the right messages and providing the right types of support for charities. Um, I think that some of the work that the Scottish Government's doing, particularly in the field of service design, is really important, where um, there's, a, there's a massive culture shift in terms of public uh, services, but also we're now seeing that kind of flowing into the third sector as well, this kind of ethos of making Scotland the biggest design school in the world, particularly like Kat McCauley's team at the Scottish Government. I think just that consistent messaging coming out that um, it's okay to fail, giving people really simple design practices. And what we're seeing is a move away from, I guess, the highest paid person's opinion being the most important thing and actually putting it right back on the end user. I think that that culture shift has been massive, and I don't I don't see that happening the same way in other parts of the UK. So I think it's a really exciting time for Scotland just now. I think we need to make the most of it, um, and I think funders and government really need to help kind of drive this stuff forward while the momentum's there. Um, so you mentioned the end user there, and all the opportunities that exist for them. Um, so I suppose two parts of the question would be: What excites you most about the opportunities that are there for the people of Scotland? And do you think digital works for everyone in Scotland? Yeah, so I guess this is this is a kind of quandary that a lot of charities have. And I think there's so there's often an immediate brick wall goes up, so you'll see kind of charity boards and senior teams who don't really understand what digital means. So it's maybe still sitting as a kind of social media silo. So when they think about digital, they just think about social media comms and they're not thinking about that kind of big bigger picture of it being about service transformation enabled by digital not just digital for the sake of it. Um, so I think if, if we can encourage boards to use the research that's out there and to speak to their own service users to understand how people are living their lives. So if I can check my bank online at any point in time or I can speak to my friend instantly, why should that same approach not be happening in charities in terms of how they deliver services? Um, there was another part of your question which I've just forgotten there. What was the what was the other part? Whether digital works for everyone. Yeah, so yeah. So I guess it's we're not talking about replacing face to face services. It's about understanding your service users and how they're living their lives. And sometimes that can be really simple intervention. So Catalyst House and Association down in England 
have a fuel poverty service the same way that pretty much every housing association in the UK has a fuel poverty service. The traditional model tends to be you phone them up, you get an appointment in two weeks' time. Usually it's Monday to Friday, 9 to 5, so you take a half day off your work. You bring your kids along, they come and pull the person's computer off the desk while they're on hold to end power. It doesn't meet the service user's needs. Now, so Catalyst are experimenting using WhatsApp to deliver exactly the same service. So what you can do is you can take a photograph of your gas bill, go straight to the fuel poverty team. They can come back and ask you some questions. They go go away and contact your energy provider. So you're getting exactly the same service, but you're maybe getting it in four-minute increments that might take place over the course of a week. So you're really thinking about how does someone live their lives, what are their raised expectations in the internet era, and how do we deliver services in that way. And I think, interestingly, given that WhatsApp is now the most used app in the UK, we see very, very few public sector or third sector organisations that have any kind of strategy for delivering to people. And we're obsessed about just feeding the beast of a Facebook page or a Twitter account with very little thought into what it's achieving. And here's an app that almost everyone has on their device but we have no thought as to how we're going to engage with people on it. So I think it's just that, it's just that sense check of if we know it's the most used app, how are we going to deliver a service to people on that platform? But it's not about removing face-to-face. Some services work best face-to-face. Some services work best when it's a mix of the two. So particularly, I think, for counselling, for a lot of people, the idea of turning up to counselling and the first thing is you turn up in a room one-to-one with a stranger is really, really daunting. And for a lot of people, they want to have live chat or they want to have video counselling as that initial first step and then they might go on to do it face to face. Um, Ad Action I think have done a lot of really good work in this area where they have um, addictions counsellors who do live chat support via their website so it's not, you know, we're not talking about a kind of signposting service, we're talking about really vulnerable groups getting quite intensive support in in a, a time that suits their needs, not saying you have to come along to a group and it's only on a Thursday at six o'clock and you have to travel 45 minutes on a bus to get to it. It's really thinking about what are people's raised expectations and how do we need that. Thanks. And I think you've probably touched on this actually a bit in your last question, but how do you think we can overcome barriers for people in organisations who don't embrace digital? Yeah, I mean, I think I kind of keep harping on about this, but I think culture is the biggest thing, and I think it needs to be driven by chief execs, senior teams and board so a lot of the time what you see is you've got someone who's passionate about digital and understands the change that needs to be made and the potential of it and how users are using digital in everyday lives, but actually they're, they're not senior enough to bring out that change and the culture in that organisation doesn't allow voices from below that senior management level to have any real say in change that's going to happen within the organisation. So for me, I think leadership understanding it, but also a culture that sits behind it where people across the organisation um, can make change and people can be listened to, um, and sometimes that's you know that's that might be as simple as the way that we have meetings needs to change. So culture can feel like this really big thing that's really scary. People think of culture as right. Well, we'll sit and we'll have a bunch of meetings, and then we'll come up with four values about our organisation, and then we'll stick them on a wall, and then that will be our culture changed. Is actually generally that doesn't work maybe you need to stop having meetings that last for four hours where 14 people just tell you the thing they did in the last month and you go around the table and then everyone goes home and you've not achieved anything, nothing's changed. So for me it's those kind of building blocks of change that it might be how do you communicate internally or how does a meeting run or how does the chief exec update people on progress. So what is that openness and transparency and how do you make those small incremental changes. But yeah, for me that's, that's the critical thing. Okay, thank you.
And so the next sort of big question we've got for you is, how would you describe service design? <laughs> right, so I'm going to use someone else's quote that's far more clever than me. Um, so um, the UX Design Collective have this really good uh, quote, which maybe they've stolen from someone else, but I'm going to use it anyway. So the majority of products that we encounter are actually part of a larger service network. In some cases, those touch points have been designed, but in many cases, they've just happened organically with no thought for the whole picture. That's where service design comes in. So really, I guess it's about putting the users first. Um, I think the, di the difficult thing with service design is it's become a huge word in the third sector and public sector and the private sector over the last few years. And there's a danger that it does a disservice to people who have been doing service design for years within charities, but they've just never called it service design. Mm -hmm. So there's plenty of charities who are using service design approaches and working with users on an incremental basis to understand how they live their lives, what the challenges are, and how they're going to deliver a service that best meets those needs. What I would say, though, is when we're talking about service design, what we're not talking about is a focus group where you get five people along and you ask them a bunch of loaded questions they all just nod their heads at you and then you go away and you decide the thing that you decided already. Or you're on a survey monkey and seven people respond and you shift the service for 2,000 people based mm -hmm. upon seven people's responses. So for me, I think the, the, the two tools that should be used much more within charities are service design and data and that's how we should be making decisions. Because a lot of the time, it's basically tribal knowledge that comes from frontline staff. And it might be right or it might be wrong. Actually, we need something that validates that. Or it comes from someone at a senior level, either on a board or chief exec or a finance director, who just makes decisions on a women meetings. And you make big organisational changes based upon that person simply saying something in a meeting that neither has the data nor the service design approach to back it up. So for me, that's the two kind of critical factors are solid service design approaches and data. Um, and I know that I've mentioned it already, but that the Scottish approach to service design, there's a lot of really good free kind of simple toolkits coming out. The Scottish Government's uh, service design team has done some work with third sector organisations. Um, it doesn't need to be expensive, and actually there's a lot of good stuff uh, happening in Scotland uh, at the moment around um, people coming together to kind of share best practice and share ideas and thinking about how you can run some of these workshops mm. yourself. So it's not about, you know, we need to go and get £20,000 of funding and get a big service design agency to work with us for six months. It's maybe just thinking about how do we genuinely, genuinely involve users and we'll try out some, out some different approaches and we'll come probably to a toolkit of three or four that are going to work in an organisation and then we can think about how we roll it out. So for me, it's about... you you might not necessarily have the money to have a service designer in-house, but it's more about training and building that culture where service design is just something that everyone thinks about and everyone does. And you mentioned that the Scottish Government have some resources around service design. Is that available publicly? Uh, yeah, I don't want to talk for Cat McCauley's team because I don't know what they're doing <laughs> at the moment, but if you follow Cat McCauley uh, on Twitter and you can, you can find her through search, she's constantly talking about some of the work that they've been doing. Um, I know that they've uh, they've got a service design champions network, um, which has had kind of cohorts of people, and as far as I know, that's had both public sector and third sector okay. people on those cohorts, um, and that's been about training up service designers who can work in house, whose job isn't a service designer. They might be a development manager or a funding officer, but trying to build that culture where service design is embedded in terms of how people make decisions about service delivery. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's, it's important to think about a lot of charities think, well, we're not a service delivery organisation. 
and that's kind of nonsense. Everyone deliver, delivers a service. So you're a membership body, you deliver a service to your members. If your biggest focus is on fundraising, you deliver a service to your supporters. So everything is about services. They might not be a face-to-face service as, as in a counselling service, but everything you do is about service delivery mm-hmm. to an internal or external audience. The problem is a lot of the ways that those services delivered has had very little thought or data that's underpinned it. It's just evolved over the years, but not necessarily involved in a way that's involved users at all. So how do we encourage sort of organisations and citizens to be more active in service design? Gosh, that's another big question. <laughs> um, I, th- I mean, I think there's enough, um, there's enough good understanding out there in terms of some of the toolkits. So things like Liberating Structures has, um, I, th- I can't remember how many kind of workshop ideas it's got. It's probably got about 50 different workshop ideas online where you can literally go on the website or you can go on the app where there's a Liberating Structures uh, kind of meetup group that's free and runs in Scotland at the moment and you can try out different approaches to service design. Um, but I think it's just always that sense check of when you make a decision in your organisation and it's going to affect a user, which may be your staff, your volunteers or your supporters or your service users, someone needs to be asking the question, how did we understand users before we came to this decision? If nobody can answer that, you need to pause and you need to think about how you're going to involve service users and who's going to be the best place to do that. And there's too many times when nobody's taken that time to think, right, we're about to make a big fundamental decision. It could be a change to a service, it may be pulling a service, it might be putting a new funding application, but someone needs to pause and ask that question of how did we involve service users? And I think, I mean, every chief exec should be asking that question all the time. Mm-hmm. How did we involve service users in this decision making? And if we didn't, we need to be doing it. And actually being brave enough to think, well, we think we've been doing it for years, but actually the way we've been doing it is incredibly loaded and it just reinforces the way that we think about things. Maybe we need to shift the way that we're involved in service users. And I think there's a danger that a lot of service user involvement has been quite tokenistic. And I think service design shifts that approach where we're generally trying to involve people in a meaningful way. Um, I suppose this continuous involvement of people can lead to a much higher quality of engagement. However, with the introduction of GDPR, are organisations right to be cautious about the data that they collect? Yeah, and I think it's where, I think one of the important building blocks, and we talk about this a lot in the leadership programme, is thinking about cyber security and cyber resilience and making sure, so simple things like SCVO have a grant at the moment for um, your cyber, uh, cyber security essentials grant. Um, which is an accreditation which you can <coughs> show to users and show to your funders to ensure that there's an understanding that data has been held securely, but also that staff understand it. And actually, when you look at some of the issues around GDPR and around data security, part of it is about technology, but actually the biggest issue is about human involvement. When I mean, you look at the charities that are being scammed at the moment in uh, Scotland and the UK, most of these scams are happening not because someone hacked into someone's server, they're happening because someone spoofed an email or picked up the phone pretending to be a chief exec and spoke to someone in a finance team and suddenly has had £40,000 transferred in the bank account. It's human error. And actually a lot of the stuff around those kind of cyber security principles is about a culture where people ask the right questions and people know when something doesn't feel right. 
And actually, there's a danger that we've over-relied on outsourcing to an IT firm our cybersecurity, and nobody internally has any clue as to what cybersecurity is. And then when stuff goes wrong, you think, well, we had an IT firm, they, know, they need to deal with that cybersecurity thing. And actually, most of the time, it's human error, and that's the thing that should be focused on. But I think, for me, if, I, if I'm using a service, or if I worked in a local authority and I was contracting a service, I need to, to have complete clarity that you have robust data storage principles in place. And I think particularly around some of the kind of quandaries at the moment where people are confused about the difference between security about a server that they host in their office versus something in the cloud and a lot of kind of myths and misconceptions around that. Um, that's where I think having some digital expertise at your board level can be really good because when you're making big commitments to say purchase a CRM and you have nobody at that kind of strategic level driving that that's when you have the potential of getting really messy, stupid decisions happen. Thank you. And the final question from us today. So in your role as facilitator of SEBO's Digital Senior Leadership Programme, you meet digital leaders from across, across Scotland. What do they see as the opportunities and challenges for digital? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so, I mean, one of, the, one of the things, so when we first started the programme, we asked people to come along with a specific digital challenge. Now, that works well if you're quite far along that digital evolution journey and you're clear about the issues that your organisation's facing. If you're early on, generally what we found is people come along and say, my board's told me I need to build an app because we work with young people. Nobody on the board knows why we need an app, but they've given me £40,000 and we're going to build an app. And actually when you start to unpick, do you need this app? Has any user told you they're going to use this app? What's the problem that's going to solve? How are you going to continually maintain and resource this app? It becomes clear an app is not the thing that people need. But actually what we've got now is this really simple um, card. So if you go and if you Google um, SCVO Senior Leadership Programme 2020, you'll get it. And it's like a 15 things card and it's come out from the learning of the programme since 2016. And what we do now is we ask people to think about out of those 15 things on the card, are the three things that feel like a priority for your organisation. And it can be things like getting digital on the agenda with the board, um, achieving cybersecurity essentials accreditation, uh, changing job descriptions to better meet the needs of service users and to reflect uh, the digital reality of the people who we're trying to support. So it's really simple changes that people can make. And I guess what we're talking about then is not this kind of big transformational change. And what you see happen in a lot of charities is a senior management team probably gets a consultant in and then they work for six months and they have endless meetings and then they deliver a big digital roadmap or a strategy and it's 120 pages long. No member of staff is ever going to read it or understand it. And probably by the time you come to do it, a lot of the stuff in it's already changed is actually what are those really small building blocks and how do you do this incrementally? And actually we know what works for other charities. So this is not a blank slate, is if you work in a counselling charity and you want to deliver live chat or video counselling, there's probably 10 other charities in Scotland who have done this already. How do you learn from them so that you can hit the ground running? I think that's one of the big things that, that I guess we're kind of doing differently is we've got a cohort now of almost 100 senior leaders. So when someone's coming along with a specific issue, we can usually tie them into three or four other people who have solved it already, and they can go and learn from them. And it might be about procurement, so it might be I'm thinking about implementing a Salesforce CRM system, and we've got a um, we've got to commit £20,000 to getting this up and running, but I've no idea what that's going to look like. But we can go and get them to go and speak to another organisation that's implemented it, and they've had it running for five years, and they can see how that works in practice. So 
I guess that culture of openness and transparency and sharing and learning from other people rather than people thinking I need to have all the answers and I have to come with the answer immediately. It's just that culture of, of just being open in terms of what you're thinking about digital is. Okay, thank you so much for um, taking us through our first Digital Alliance Live. Um, it sounds like there's lots of opportunities for Scotland and it's really interesting to hear that you think Scotland really is a bit of a world stroke UK leader in yeah, digital. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And do you want to plug of your Twitter again? Yeah, so I, this is good. I get to shamelessly plug stuff. Yeah, so my uh, my Twitter account is at Third Sector Lab. Uh, if you're interested in um, the Senior Leaders Programme, if you follow DigiScot on Twitter, and they've got updates on there. Um, but if you just Google uh, SCVO Senior Leaders Programme 2020, you'll get tons of information on that. Thank you. Thank you. The Alliance Live podcast can be found on all major podcast streaming platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and CastBox. Don't forget to sign up to the next Alliance Live webinar, showcasing examples of innovative and integrated working taking place across Scotland within health and social care. Follow at Alliance Scott on Twitter to find out how. Learn more about the work that we do at the Alliance by visiting our website, www.alliance-scotland.org.uk